It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. When I first was in touch with today's guest, Heather, I really noticed her authenticity. And then talking with her for the past 30 to 40 minutes that we've been prepping for this episode, I have witnessed that in real time. And Heather, I just find you so mindful and it's so easy to connect with you, which is really lovely. I can't wait to talk about some of these passions of yours, which include breath work, food, body image, trauma. These are all things I'm really interested in learning more about myself. And I felt excited to explore that with you today because I feel like I have been developing new relationships with my body, I suppose, and new relationships with food. I'm becoming more trauma-informed. I want to learn more about that. And I absolutely love breath work. Whenever I just see the phrase or the word breath work, I don't know. Is it is it one word, breath work? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. That's how you have it spelled out, right? Yeah. And it's always it always says it's incorrect, but I guess it's a <laughs> That's <word>. right. Huh? <laughs> That's so interesting. When I just see that, I have taken a lot of breathwork classes and I feel it in my chest just thinking about it. It's like my brain goes up oh, breathwork time and my chest like changes. I become more aware. I want to start paying very close attention to my breathing and all the nuances of it. So I'm thrilled to go in all these different directions with you today, Heather. And I'm curious, of all those topics and passions, right now in this moment, what do you feel most excited to discuss? It's so funny. I really wanted to thank you just for the nice things that you said about me, because at the core of what I do is I just want to help people, humans in general, to come back to their most authentic selves. And I think we do that through self-love and putting ourselves first, which we're often told is selfish. And there might be a lot of layers of trauma. And I mean, the work that I do is primarily around, it's like the top layer is like, I'm a certified food and body coach and I help women heal their relationship with food and body. But at the deeper level, for me, love is what I'm passionate about. And helping women to just feel that in an embodied way, because it's one thing to know or like try to affirm your self-love and tell yourself, okay, and I shouldn't say negative things about myself, or I do love myself. Like you're playing this like mind game and mindset work is so important, but when we feel it, it's just crazy magic when you actually feel it in your whole body. That's so true. And breath work is such a 
beautiful way to do that because you can really feel it on a deeper level and it helps you feel more in tune with yourself. And sometimes that brings up a lot of pain. And I imagine for others, trauma as well. I'm not sure that I have felt trauma come up, but I've been next to people in breathwork classes that have started sobbing and wailing and letting out these extreme sounds. And like you can feel it. It's almost as if when my eyes are closed, laying down on the floor in that practice, I can visualize like each of those people around me and all of these things coming out of their body like energy. Yeah. That to me is fascinating. It's hard to do that type of class though. I found it a bit distracting at times, like part of that practice when I was doing it a lot in person. It's challenging to focus on yourself when other people are making a lot of noise or exerting a lot of energy that maybe you pick up on if, if you're a sensitive person. I'm curious if that comes up for you in your work and how do you navigate through your own things when you're kind of distracted by what other people are going through? Yeah, absolutely. I hear what you're saying. I think that as empaths, which I really feel you are, and probably so many of your listeners are, we go into these spaces and there's what we might call like ego coming up too, where we're like, I don't know, I feel weird making that noise, even though I feel this urge to make this noise and it can feel so uncomfortable. And I think that's why building community around breathwork, finding a space that you feel comfortable enough in, finding people that you feel comfortable with to practice breathwork in a way that allows you to fully, <laughs> let's use the word export. <laughs> um, sure, let's export these layers of trauma out of our bodies and do it in a way where you feel so held. And this is something that I really like to teach people when I work with them is how to hold space. And so that you can feel that from other people when you come in so that you know in your body that it's okay for me to let this be and for me to be the fullest expression of myself through this breathwork process. And a lot of that also comes back to when you asked me about what's top of mind or whatever it was that you specifically said, but the first thing I teach is safety in the body. So for you to really, not you specifically, but for the people in the world, everyone, for all of us, including me, to really ground and begin establishing a regulated nervous system to the point where your monkey mind doesn't come in and say, oh, okay, like this person's making a lot of noise that's really overly stimulating me, but just to come back to your body and really ground into your safe space so that you can let the process unfold naturally. Yeah, and that feels like part of the process. And one of the things I wish that was spoken about more when it comes to breath work, because in my experience, I have seen how I've felt. I've seen how people I've brought to a class have felt. And I actually just had a more recent experience with breath work after not doing 
in-person classes for years. And in this moment, <laughs> reflecting on that, wow, I hadn't even taken it in during the time this was happening. It was a, about a month ago. I was on a retreat in Costa Rica and that was the first time I had done any type of in-person movement or mindfulness classes in years. Yeah. In the moment, I was not even thinking about that, which was great. But now in hindsight, I'm like, wow, that is so interesting. And one of the things we did was a breathwork class. And it was one of the best that I've ever been to because of the environment. In the past, mm -hmm. I have done breathwork at a few different yoga studios. I've also done breathwork at a really great meditation center in Los Angeles. And the latter was my favorite. I had like the teacher was so great at creating the space for it. And I just got into this zone and I would go to his classes so regularly. I kind of knew his pacing and he would have like music cues. And I was just like, okay, like now is when this part happens. And I would have to work on like not overly anticipating <laughs> yeah. what was next. Yeah. But in a way for someone like me having some expectations helped me relax in because I knew, okay, we're going to be doing this for this short amount of time. And then we're doing this phase or like, mm -hmm. this is what happens next versus someone that goes into that experience. Like it can feel like an eternity in doing breath work because yes. it's so intense and so different. Yeah. It really can feel that way. And yeah, it's funny because it sounds like you had a really great teacher too, because I think like for me talking about safety in the body is part of it is anticipating what is going to happen. And so for me as a breathwork facilitator, it's important that I say, we're going to do this breath pattern. This is how you do it. Then we're going to do a hold. I just tell them, here's the plan. And for me, I have to prepare myself before doing these sessions so that I can intuitively feel into what this person might need. I also have to do a check-in because I usually do one-on-ones, but I will check in with what's coming up for them in that moment. Because when they scheduled the appointment compared to what's happening right now, you know, so it's this thing where it's a very intuitive process and that can be a little tricky when you're in a group session, but that is the trauma-informed aspect of specifically like my training is really tuning into the group or the individual nervous system <laughs> and trying to attune to what it is that the collective needs so that you can help everyone feel safe together, which might mean that some people don't go as deep into the transformational experience as others would, because some people are further along in their journey but it's still regulating your nervous system and helping you again, establish that safety in the body. So either way, it's all good. And it's all transformative. I think sometimes people go into these experiences thinking like, it's going to be like this like mind blowing experience. And sometimes it really is. It's always amazing. I think in my opinion, but sometimes it's just relaxing and that's great too. I did want to ask you when you mentioned going to Costa Rica, I was curious for you, like, did you notice at all that you had maybe been craving the in-person experience? That's a good question. And I have to 
sit with that because generally, we're off the top of my head, I would say no. But a lot of that has been my experience of COVID and how I found that doing classes in person did not feel comfortable or safe for me. But in Costa Rica, we were outside. All of our classes were outdoors. And so I felt really comfortable with that. And that was an option for some classes that I was taking in Los Angeles, but I didn't really have the motivation. Whereas going to a retreat was a big motivation. And along those lines, because it was outside, that's what made the breath work so different. In fact, two layers that are worth mentioning based on some things you said is one, for me, it was unbelievable. I mean, maybe it was because I hadn't done it for so long and maybe I like needed it on a level I didn't quite realize. And I'm experienced with breath work. I feel like I know usually how it's going to go. I know how my body's going to react. I felt like prepared for that. And this was a whole new teacher in a new environment and new people that I was with. So those nuances can shift it. What was so cool about this is it started to downpour and we were in this covered space, but there were no walls. So we were like this platform with a roof above us, but it was all open around. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be in a spot in that area where I didn't get rained on at all. There was no wind. I could feel like little tiny specks of water hitting me, but it felt incredible. It was warm and I love the rain, the rain sounds and the feeling like to me, that was like the ultimate experience. So I was on cloud nine, but at the end of class, we all in this group, there were about 10 of us sat with the facilitator and she asked if we had any questions and had a little discussion And come to find out that two of the girls that were in that class were on the opposite side of the space as me. And there was wind hitting them and they were being rained on for the entire 90-minute class. And they said it was the most awful experience. But what made it extra interesting is neither one of them chose to leave They both felt determined to stay, even though they were deeply physically uncomfortable and didn't feel like they could get into the flow of the breath work. And I found that so fascinating. And I wondered, what would I have done if it had been raining? Would I have like found a way to embrace the discomfort and enjoy it? Would I have kind of grit and bear it? Would I have gotten up and left or moved. And I'm curious if you've ever been in a situation like that where either you personally were faced with that type of challenge or someone that you've worked with was, and how did you move through that? Mm, That situation, I have not been in with the weather. Typically, I'm dealing with interrupting children and (laughs) I work with a lot of moms. And I think that... It's a little bit different in terms of like that situation. I think everyone is at a different space in terms of what they're comfortable with. And I like to think that everything is happening for us. 
And I think a lot of spiritual people do. And so I think that can be annoying to hear sometimes when you're like, no, like my five-year-old won't leave me alone when I'm trying to do this session. Where is my partner? Why aren't they helping me? (laughs) I really try to talk about being the observer of your experience. How is this serving me? How is this helping me grow? And I think that the situation that you're describing is so interesting because I'm like, oh, what's the metaphor of the rain and the washing away? Maybe (laughs) I mean that we're such a meaning making machines, but absolutely that no matter what, especially with the trauma informed aspect that if as a facilitator, I would say, absolutely get up and leave if you feel like your nervous system is out of control and needs to be regulated. And maybe you just go somewhere else. That's a very unique situation because I did my certification with breathwork during this whole COVID thing. So I haven't really done a lot of in-person stuff with the exception of my small mom group friends and stuff like that. But I think that to me, that's a beautiful experience in that oftentimes one thing with breath work is that we think, oh, I'm going to go into this one hour session, this group session or whatever, and I'm going to do it and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to have a huge transformation. And I'm going to have total clarity on my entire life and I'm going to have it all figured out. And that's just not always the case. Sometimes you go in and the whole session is so uncomfortable. You hate it. You come out of it feeling maybe even more irritable But then over the next 24 hours, you notice some maybe you have some realizations, maybe you feel differently in your body. So it's happening over a period of time that's not going to happen in that one hour period where you're going to have this huge transformation. It's just all part of the process of regulating our nervous system. That's such a great point because it's so easy to go into a mindfulness practice with a specific outcome in mind. And even when it comes to working through trauma, that eagerness to get to the root of it is something that I've experienced. In fact, that's another thing that came up in my life. I just started working with a therapist and I show up to the first session. I'm like, I got notes. (laughs) I'm ready to dig into things. And he was like, okay, this is how it's going to go. And he basically told me we wouldn't start getting into like deeper things until like the third or fourth session. And I found myself going, oh, (laughs) okay. Like I'm going to have to be patient, but there's a process to this. And actually I'm grateful that there is because it's setting me up for success and allowing things to unfold mindfully versus like just trying to force something to come out faster than maybe we're ready for it emotionally. And I think with us living in a society that loves quick fixes and has short attention spans, it's possible that many people are not used to slowing down and not used to getting something as quickly as they want it. And so I'm kind of curious what you've observed in your training and practice. Do you find that a lot of people come in with like frenzied energy or high expectations or looking for the quick fix? Or is that not common? I mean, I feel like I haven't experienced that a lot per se. It's funny because there is one person that popped up in my mind that came into the 
session when I did a breathwork session, this one person who kind of had that, I could feel that she was in a hurry to get this emotion that she was experiencing gone in a way and stuff. And I just really guided this intentional breathwork session with her where it was like, let's just be with it. Let's just let it be there. And slowly she got regulated by the end of it. But for most of it, it was just like, she was just having to be in the frazzled, hurry this up. (laughs) Like, let's figure out what the problem is and we'll get it resolved. This is also a close friend of mine, so she'd be okay with me talking about this, but she's a problem solver. And I love, we all have these amazing brains where we can problem solve. And that's what we do as human beings, but you don't need to be fixed. There's no problem here. You're just a human being having an experience and you have these layers that have been laid upon you through the years that you get to uncover. Now it's this journey of discovery. And if you can be curious and be the observer of that, then you learn so much about yourself and you can begin to even detach from the stories, which is sort of like a mindfulness, very Eastern philosophy of detachment from these layers that have been placed upon us. If you grew up in a completely different environment with different parents, you'd be somebody else. A lot of that is just because we learn from the modeling and the environment and everything. We know this from psychology and it takes time to uncover that stuff. So it's about really loving yourself where you're at. And this is a big reason why I talk about love because if you can just love yourself, really just say, okay, like I'm a hot mess. I have dad issues <laughs> or whatever. You know, that was my story. I can get into that in a minute, but whatever it is that you have down there, just to completely holding space for yourself. That's really what it is. That is just filled with so much compassion. And I think a lot of us get used to having compassion for others and we forget to have compassion for ourselves. And we spend so much time commonly focusing, fixating on what we want to fix. And when you're sharing about your friend, I can identify with that. And that's something that I've been working on being less of a fixer and a problem solver. It's something I've identified within myself and took a lot of pride in, but I found a lot of ways in which that wasn't serving me. So I'm trying to release that grip. Actually, when I was in Costa Rica, one of my yoga classes, that was a huge takeaway because the teacher shared something about releasing the grip. And I thought, oh, wow, that really resonates with me. I was literally gripping my yoga mat and I looked down at my hands and could see them like they weren't relaxed. And then I started thinking about how do I emotionally hold a grip and how can I just be in more of a flow state and to your point, be accepting and have more 
self-love through the tough times and the not so tough times, even the easy times. I mean, there's opportunities for more love there. And that leads me into something I really want to talk about with you, which is our bodies. We've talked about how our bodies play out in terms of a breathwork class or a yoga, but I think it's easy to become a bit detached and think about like, okay, I can feel myself breathing. This feels really good, but we can look in the mirror a ton during yoga. If there's a mirror there, we can fixate on like, how does our body look while we're doing yoga? Or maybe we leave a class and we're feeling really good and we catch a glance at ourselves in a car window or we're passing by a store and we see our reflection. And I know for me, that can easily put me into this place of judgment. And I'm curious where you're at with your relationship with your body and how is breath work and the other work that you're doing around food helping you move through any challenges that you've had personally and helping other people that you're working with? Yeah, I definitely resonate with what you're saying. I think that first I'll say what's coming to top of mind is how I feel like we are so inundated on the daily with how our bodies should look. And so it can feel a little bit like an uphill battle. So I just really want to acknowledge that. I also want to acknowledge just the lack of inclusivity in terms of the exposure of what the right body is and how hard that is for groups of people that are not being included in that image exposure or whatever communication about bodies. So I just think that I don't want to sound pessimistic or anything, but it can feel that way at first, that it is an uphill battle in terms of body acceptance and that it's ongoing work of having a dialogue with yourself. But again, the relationship in terms of the embodied side of the work where using breath work, meditation, meeting yourself where you're at. And just for me, it's so funny because (laughs) I was one of the people that put weight on during COVID, like so many people did. And That's where all of my training really (laughs) got tested because I just didn't expect that to happen and that I would be concerned with it as soon as it started to become noticeable that that had happened. So I had to really walk the walk and that felt really scary for me because I had all this months and months of training of how to access safety in the body, how to identify the stories and the narratives and that meeting myself where I was at, that it's so easy to think about, oh, my old body. I think, I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but (laughs) I think back to when I was 13 and my best friends and I would sit by the pool and read self magazine and just think like, okay, like let's do this six week ab challenge. And I look back at our photos. I'm still friends with my best friends and we look back at photos and I'm like, can you believe we thought we were fat? That makes me want to cry for that little girl. And so I just don't want to get to 60 and look back at myself when I was in my 30s and think, why didn't I just enjoy my body? 
And so it's this process of developing a love with your body. I mean, it's easy to start with things like, gosh, my body is able to do this. And I know not everyone is able to walk or whatever, but if you can walk, look at that. (laughs) That's pretty amazing for those that are not fully able-bodied. I know that there are so many tools that they have to be able to go throughout the world in an easier way and finding ways to be with the body. I don't tend to work with a lot of disabled people, but I know that there is that sector of people. And again, with just a wide range of issues that people are dealing with, skin color, hair color, trans, non-binary, it's all how everyone that's showing up is being judged in some way for their body. It's not just an issue of like weight. It's every aspect of your body. I'm right there with you. And I'm so glad. Thank you for bringing up inclusivity, disabilities, all these ways in which someone may be judged. In fact, it's timely because I was putting out a post in one of the podcast groups that I'm in looking for new guests. And I was thinking about like, what are some topics I want to address more? And discrimination is a huge one. I feel like I've still only scratched the surface of it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel like it's brought up enough in the wellness circles or mindfulness. And I think a huge part of that is at least for me as a white woman, I live in Los Angeles. A lot of people here in the wellness spaces and the classes that I take, they're also white people, they're able-bodied. And if I start going through all these different areas of different types of people, I recognize that a very small percentage seem to be represented in classes, in person, online, in podcasts, and a lot of places. And I feel like I have to really seek them out. I'm sure they're there, Mm -hmm. but they haven't been as obvious to me. And you were mentioning some things. I wrote up a list today of different ways in which people were discriminated against. It could be political affiliation, gender, gender identity, social class, age, disability, religion, sexuality, race, ethnicity, nationality, appearance, occupation, wealth, education, criminality, on and on. Mm -hmm. These things that just don't get brought up. But I look at that list in regards to what you're sharing. And when it comes to mindfulness, I can see so many opportunities here in which somebody in one that is experiencing something in one of those categories I mentioned may not feel included, may not feel represented. And that's something really worth focusing more on, especially when it comes to body acceptance and that point you made about it being an uphill battle. Because if you don't feel accepted for any of those factors, it's really hard to love yourself because you can spend that time internally. But if you go and socialize, if you step outside of your home and you don't feel safe, if you feel that you're getting judged a lot, it's really challenging to continue feeling good about yourself. And so I think some people start to be afraid to be around others and they develop fear and lack of trust. And those emotions make all of this challenging too. So your point about there being all these layers is incredibly important, but acknowledging privilege when you have it 
And also to your point, like just being grateful that you can walk if you can walk, you can breathe. These basic human body functions are things that most of us don't focus on. And that in itself is a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. I always like to invite people to look around. I mean, I think you just touched on this, but just when you go somewhere, I've had the privilege to go to Hawaii this summer and you just look around and there wasn't a lot of diversity where I was. And that was on my mind. And I think about why, why is that? I would like to hear from more people about where they're at with getting out in public. I mean, it's a lot of, it goes much deeper than just bodies. It's money, it's accessibility. But I also just think about for me, where I live in Northern California, it's predominantly white. And when I think about, or when I might see like one of the very few Native Americans or one of the few Black people that live in my area, I'm like, I wonder how that feels for them to live here and feel, do they feel excluded or do they, maybe they feel okay with, I don't know. I just want to invite people to start thinking about that because it's easy to not think about it and just go on with your life and be like, I'm comfortable going into town and picking up my groceries. Well, not everybody is. And so that's one element and a little bit off track from body image, but, but still, I mean, just thinking about existing in a body and not feeling safe to just simply go to the store is kind of a crazy concept to me. Oh, absolutely. And that in itself can become a mindfulness practice and a compassion practice because if you can pay attention to who's around you and just pause and wonder what would life be like for this person, you could try to start a conversation or you could just use it as a practice of I wonder what life is like for them and noticing them, making eye contact with people, acknowledging people, which some of us don't do that often. We start to kind of become in our own bubble, especially in a big city for me, certainly very different than parts of the country or even the world. Like when I was traveling internationally recently, just noticing what it feels like to be in a different culture and also in places where I was the only white person. That's a very interesting experience because I've had the privilege of being the opposite most of my life. Most places, I'm in the majority of skin color, not the minority. And being in the opposite situation is, I actually find that incredibly helpful for me, that kind of exposure and getting outside of our bubbles. But if we don't have that opportunity, can we just consider it and think about it and Can we lean into those conversations that might be uncomfortable there? And something else that came up as you were sharing, one little side note, when you were sharing that wonderful point about, I don't want to be 60 and look back and wonder why I didn't enjoy my body. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a beautiful statement. Age, of course, is a big issue for many. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. ageism drives me absolutely crazy. The older I get, I'm just like, this is so bizarre that we have so much ageism, but also equally bizarre that when we're young, as young women, which like are seen in our culture as being like the best thing ever, like young women are 
treated like in so many weird sexual ways and like fetish. I mean, it's bizarre. But when you said 13, I started thinking about my own experiences being around that age, being with my friends, reading the magazines. And I was doing the same things of obsessing over everything. I would read those women's magazines and look forward to the exercises they would have in there because they would always have like a tip for getting in shape. Mm -hmm. And some of them, I even remember like what the pages look like. I remember what some of the advice was from celebrities and I would just like strive to do it myself and that obsession. And I look back now thinking even then I didn't even recognize my privilege of being young because I was so distracted with my body and trying to change it that I wasn't present to the experience of being that age Mm -hmm. and the sadness that you were sharing that comes up for me of like, wow, like so much of our lives are taken away from us because society has this condition to focus so much on what we should change and how we don't fit in and what's wrong with us. And it's only through hindsight that we can see that there was nothing wrong with us at all. In fact, we probably in this moment might desire to be that age again and to be in that body as you were describing. But then we can use that as a lesson, like you saying, thinking about what our bodies used to look like. That's also a common experience. But what if in that moment we say, I don't have the ability to go backwards and be back at that age and that body, but what I can do is practice appreciating and accepting and loving my body now because maybe when I'm 60 or whatever age in the future, I'll be thinking about this time right now. And this is what I'll be wishing that I could go back to. Yeah. I think we tend to romanticize the past a lot too. We forget that it wasn't what it seemed, but I think that if we can just begin that mindfulness aspect where it's like, I'm going to meet myself where I'm at right now. And I'm going to just listen. And in my practice, it's really about not being on a specific diet. It's not about doing a specific routine. It's about in each and every single moment, listening to the body and honoring its truth. So we get to uncover the layers through all this transformational work. And it doesn't mean you're going to stay stuck in healing forever. It can be a little hard at first, but can feel like an uphill battle initially. You're uncovering years and years of conditioning, and then you're fighting the advertisement and you're on Instagram and sometimes taking a break from those things like you had mentioned earlier, I believe, taking a break, I think, from social media. I sometimes have to do that too because it can make me feel worse about my body. So it's just having enough self-awareness that there's this information coming at me all the time. The other thing that I was battling for since I was about nine was anxiety and depression. You had mentioned therapy. So I've done a lot of therapy. (laughs) And sometimes this process of talking about everything can seem so draining for people at times. And I just want to encourage people to one, stick with it for a a decent amount of time. 
and that to incorporate it with some somatic healing, which is the embodiment work, somatic healing, doing the work on your nervous system and incorporating it so that you can regulate yourself when you start to notice like, oh, why am I feeling so weird? Like after I was on social media or whatever and just noticing and being like, I just want to go do breath work for like five minutes. It doesn't have to be like, okay, I'm going to go sign up for this hour long session. As a mom, I just posted this little reel recently that was like, whenever I'm having a hard day and I can't deal with my kid, I just hide in the bathroom and I do breath work for like five minutes. (laughs) And it just gets me through. And then the further and further you get along in this work, you just develop this beautiful relationship with yourself where you're like, it's not that I am fat. I have fat. I have fat on my body. And that doesn't mean anything. It just is what it is. And in fact, if you want to just go from an evolutionary standpoint, having fat on your body is a good survival thing. And that's what your body is supposed to be doing. And it's totally healthy and normal. And it's okay. And you can just sit with it and sit with the discomfort of it too. And just be like, yes, I might have fat on my body and I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable with that. And to really hold space again, you know, I've (laughs) said that before, but just really having compassion for yourself. It's okay to feel angry about it. It's okay to feel sad about it. And what does your body need right now to get through that? A lot of women that I've worked with struggle with binge eating as well, including myself. And so I've done like every diet (laughs) in the past. I was really into like worrying about like my fitness and having the right macros (laughs) and all that stuff. And it just got to a point where I was just like, I'm exhausted worrying about my effing body. (laughs) Like I just want to be, and I want to enjoy and like right now I'm into swimming and I love that. And then next week I might go lift some weights. I don't need to follow the 12 week plan to get in the best shape ever this summer. And I can just enjoy the movement of my body and I can enjoy the foods that I get to eat and know that sometimes I'm going to eat Cheetos, but I'm not going to eat the whole bag because I don't need to engage in emotional eating because I know how to regulate my emotions. And so... That's for me, the road of really healing my relationship with my body and now teaching other people to do that. And I wanted to say one thing too, before I forget, because you had mentioned just talking about different bodies when you were traveling and stuff, just noticing your experience when we were kind of talking about that. My father-in-law is a retired physician and he was talking about how there was several patients of his that had been deemed obese. And he said that one of the things that people had brought up was that people wouldn't look them in the eye. And it's really heartbreaking to hear that because I think that I've noticed it too, where with people that I know that they have a body and it has body fat (laughs) and it's not inside of the like whatever acceptable norms, whatever that may be. And having experiences where people say weird things about 
how they're being in their body and what they're eating. If they might be what we refer to as technically overweight or morbidly obese or whatever. And so I just really wanted to bring that to point because when I had learned that from him, I definitely wanted to make an effort to look at people and smile at, I want to look at and smile at all people actually, but I had been curious had I done that before. And I don't really know. After that, I was instantly like, okay, I'm going to start practicing this. But I think that there are certain things in our culture, I think that when we're not doing the social norm, whether that's through eating or we have a certain body type, it can make other people uncomfortable and not look people in the eye or acknowledge them as a human being. I'm going to pause here for a moment to take a very brief period of time to thank the show's sponsor, Athletic Greens. They make this wonderful all-in-one powder that's virtually nutritional insurance. And to tie that into this conversation, I think of this as a really great way to be mindful and intentional about what you put in your body without overstressing. It's an all-in-one that contains vitamins, minerals, probiotics, adaptogens. I take it almost every single day at home when I'm traveling. Love the taste of it. It's low in sugar. And it's designed to support better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. It's also recommended by professional athletes and trusted by leading health experts. And the best part is, beyond the all-in-one element, is that it costs less than $3 a day. So for a delicious tasting green juice, it's really affordable and convenient. And because they're sponsoring this show, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D, which I also take every day, along with five free travel packs of this AG1 green powder that I've been talking about. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash wellabator. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. And there you can take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link is in the description of this episode along with the show notes. So go check it out. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Now back to the show. Heather, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's really interesting. The more that you can notice how you're feeling, how you're behaving, if you go a layer deeper and try to understand why and where did it come from, and then you start to notice how other people act and the influences of others on you, and then you can also start to play a role in being more positive and less judgmental. And I'm right there with you. It is amazing how many people still feel like it's appropriate to make comments or to treat people poorly based on how they look. But as you pointed out, there are times I catch myself doing it in subtle ways that I probably wouldn't have noticed if I was not aware. Mm -hmm. And those are such great learning opportunities because at the end of the day, people just want to be treated with love and kindness and not based on their external qualities. And even if somebody feels like they're being rude, that's another opportunity too, is like, what if they're being 
rude or behaving in a way you perceive as rude because they're hurt and they're scared and they've been treated poorly themselves. And like you look at all these ripple effects mm-hmm. in which we impact one another and how just extending and practicing that mindful compassion for ourselves and others can create this deep impact. And something else I want to come back to, because I want to hear more about your work in food. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big journey for me. I have a history of disordered eating like you. I've tried a lot of different diets. Once I went vegan, I even started trying diets within veganism and then learned about intuitive eating. And that's something I've been practicing for years. And it's challenging in a culture that really emphasizes dieting and smaller bodies and no matter how much we're seeing more inclusivity and body acceptance, the priority or the emphasis on smaller bodies and younger bodies is still there. And I see it constantly. I mean, if you really tune in, that messaging is all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's tough as we've been talking about. So I'd love to hear more about that. And as a lead in, I wanted to reference a video I saw, I think, yesterday. It was a compilation, probably on TikTok, where I see most videos. (laughs) It was a compilation of Oprah showing how she used to be so fixated on losing weight. And there's a famous episode of her show where she wheels out a wagon full of fat and reveals her small body. And she's super small, which was interesting because... I don't know if I saw that episode or just had seen references to it enough over my life that seeing it now, I'm like, wow, I don't remember Oprah ever being that small. Mm. She was really small and then she fluctuated so much over time. And this compilation kind of revealed like how much pressure Oprah was under to be small. And there's a newer interview with her I believe she says that she's in her 60s. I don't remember how old she is off the top of my head, but she said something kind of similar to you where she's like, you know, now that I'm this age, I'm less concerned about it or I'm embracing myself more for who I am. And I hope that's true because if so, then it's such an important example of how she was able to move out of that way of approaching life and There's even a clip in there about her talking about how much she loves bread. And when I saw that, I'm thinking, wow, it's crazy how much something like bread has been seen as negative. And I wonder how many people are walking around life thinking, I really just want a piece of bread, but I can't because it's going to ruin my diet. Yeah, I know. It's sad because like pasta and bread... (laughs) so nice sometimes and it feels so nourishing to the body and we need carbohydrates people okay (laughs) carbs are not bad and when you practice and learn intuitive eating you start to become so aware of this visceral experience of eating certain foods and I think every body (laughs) is so different and what they need, and that there is no one diet that will make everything all better. Because being a different body type isn't going to take away the emotional pain from whatever you've experienced in your life. 
Well, at least that's what I thought. I thought that if I just lose 10 more pounds, then I'll be lovable. And that's really what it was. And when I finally just let myself enjoy food, life just became more fun. And I could focus on other things like making art and enjoying friends with food (laughs) and thinking about, I know you travel quite a bit. And sometimes that means having to go off of a plan that you might've had. And I want to acknowledge people too, that really do have certain food restrictions due to like inflammatory diseases and whatnot. Like that's amazing what we have learned about certain foods to help with those issues. My husband actually has an autoimmune disease. So there's certain times where he might get flared up and then we kind of have to bring in certain foods to help kind of detox essentially to flush out his colon and everything, like calm down, just really simple things. So sometimes he has to eat what you might call really boring foods or whatever, but it feels nourishing for him at that time because it's what his body needs. And when we practice visceral intelligence, which is all part of what I teach in terms of when I start with people, I say, we got to establish safety in the body. And part of that is practicing visceral intelligence. And when you become attuned to these, it's like a blip on the screen. You know, you have your like heart monitor, let's say it's almost like this thing where you're like, sometimes I'll call take one bite of something. And I'm like, Oh no, like my body does not want that. But it's like, a thing that you practice so much that you become more and more aware. It takes time to practice intuitive eating and your body's not going to feel the same every day. I don't eat pasta once a week even because my body doesn't digest that very well or like just certain things like candy or snacks, you know, cause I have a six year old, she just turned six. So I have a kid who has all these kid snacks and like, I can't eat that stuff all the time. But it's just every moment tuning in of like what I need, the proteins, the fats and the carbs and whatever. It's all good to also eat junk food sometimes (laughs) or whatever your struggle is. I'm just sharing my perspective because it was definitely more on the bench side. I'd go work out for an hour and a half at the gym and I'd come home starving and I'd be like, okay, while that's cooking, I'm just going to eat this whole bag of chips because I'm starving. And that's not the idea here. There's nothing wrong with eating the whole bag of chips. But I don't think it's what our bodies actually want. It's this beautiful process of, it's like any other relationship. Absolutely. And it's complicated too. It seems so simple. I guess it depends, as you mentioned, since every body is different. For me, it's been really frustrating because I have a ton of food sensitivities and I don't know why I haven't had a lot of doctors understand it. It's something I've learned to manage. But actually when I was in Costa Rica, I had some really bad flare-ups and it was incredibly frustrating because I thought, gosh, like sometimes I can't even just eat the things that I want. Here I am trying to embrace intuitive eating, but I still need to learn to listen to my body because certain foods give me flare-ups and I have really awful symptoms. And when I was traveling, like I was on the airplane wearing a mask and like 
couldn't stop sniffling. And like, I just felt so awful. And then I'm wondering, are people around me thinking I'm sick? But like, I know it's just my food sensitivities and constantly blowing my nose around people. It was like so embarrassing, but also just like, oh, great. What now? That's been my experience for so many years. And like you, mm-hmm. as much as I love bread, unfortunately, I have a gluten sensitivity. And sometimes I'll just eat bread anyways mm-hmm. and think like, I'm doing this because it looks good. Like my body is saying it wants this bread and it'll feel good for like 15 minutes. And then suddenly the sensitivities will start to creep in. And <sighs> that's tough because with the history of disordered eating, I spend so much time looking at food as good or bad, right or wrong, or like if I eat this, I'm going to have to pay these consequences. And it's like this whole mental struggle, I suppose. But over time through mindfulness, I have learned that it's just a constant work in progress. And it's not about ever getting to a point where you feel like fully fixed or resolved. Like I think life just, we're never quite at a level of peace mm-hmm. that we think we'll get to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know anyone who <laughs> like is constantly feels at peace with their life. Like they might have a steadiness to them, but there's the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the shifts. I imagine like as a mother, you experience this a lot because it's something I've noticed in my friends and our mothers. Like I feel in awe of them. Like, how do they manage just the constant unexpected things raising a child? Yeah, definitely. First of all, I just want to go back real quick before I answer that. I just want to acknowledge you for sharing about your history of disordered eating. And I think it's really great that people are talking about this. It's really important. And I just want to say, I'm sorry that you've had to experience the journey of that and what that has been like for you. I just want to acknowledge you. And thank you. Yeah. It's really common in the field that I work in to come across women who have struggled with that as well. And again, the safety in the body thing is huge for people who have a history of disordered eating. There's such extreme discomfort in the body that it's difficult to begin the process of practicing visceral intelligence sometimes. So we have to stay in the state of constant grounding and safety in the body first before we can even acknowledge any opportunity for practicing intuitive eating. So I just want anyone out there who's struggling with disordered eating to keep that in mind and to keep practicing your safety first, because it is really painful to be in the body sometimes when you have that as a part of your history. And that the other part is, is that, yes, absolutely, it's a process. I mean, I'm still, I have these days where I'm just like, that was weird that I had that reaction to that food. Okay, something's okay. Well, I guess we're just going to be with it. And sometimes when you were describing that experience of being on the plane, again, (laughs) sorry, I feel like I keep being redundant. It's like coming back to safety where you're like, okay, I'm feeling so uncomfortable in my body right now. This really sucks. How can I be with this? How can I ground? You know, for me, when I started learning about safety in the body, I could only feel it in my toes. So I still always just focus on my toes. I'm just giving that tip in case anybody wants it. But it's about finding that place in your body where you're like, okay, like I feel okay here. 
my toes aren't irritated, my tummy's irritated, my face feels itchy or whatever the thing is, but I'm going to let it all be here as a part of my human experience right now. And I'm not going to judge it and I'm not going to worry about what it's going to mean for the people around me. I'm going to just choose that. And when you can do that, then you can begin to like regulate through that experience of acceptance and observation and safety. That point you made about the toes is so interesting. I feel like what a great mindfulness practice, like (laughs) after we finish, but also for the listener when they finish this episode, like what if you just practice feeling safe in your toes? I don't think anyone's ever mentioned that before. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think your point was that that's where you felt safe, but I think that's interesting because I think things like our toes, we become so unaware of what's going on with our toes. I broke my toe a few months ago and I was like, this is interesting. I never spent so much time thinking about how my toe feels, but here I am. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And yes, I'd love to hear about your experience as a mother and how you regulate yourself and find peace. And do you agree that life never stays stable? Yes, it's a roller coaster ride. I'm not sure what it's like to die, but I just always imagine like being on my deathbed and being like, I did my best. That was good. (laughs) Just being at peace with it where it's like, oh, I did okay. I think I believe in reincarnation. So it's like, I'll try that again. Next time I'll adjust it. But (laughs) I just imagine being at the end and being like, yeah, that was wild. That was up and down and all around. And I think that is life. And I think that through the ups and downs, we get to learn and grow from all of the things that are coming at us. And I think that that's just life in general, not just being a mom, but then you add parenthood onto it and all of your insecurities, all your come up when you're a parent because you're basically trying to, or at least in my experience, you're like, okay, I'm trying to do everything that I wanted my parents to do for me. So I'm projecting onto my kid all the time what I had, what I would have wanted. So it's this constant returning to myself and who I authentically am so that in my case, it's a she, (laughs) my child can be her authentic self. So I think a lot of the times when I try to practice some of these mindful techniques with her, teaching her how to regulate herself and her emotions and feeling her feelings, teaching her that it's safe to feel them, that it's normal to be angry. It's normal to be sad. It's interesting having a six-year-old because their prefrontal cortex is just beginning development. So She's just beginning to understand what the logical objective reality is that we live in. So she gets really angry sometimes and that can be activating to me because I don't like anger. And so then I have to go deal with that. That's my problem. And so I have to help her find a healthy way to express that anger and frustration that she's experiencing. I tell her to go punch a pillow or go color, whatever it is in the moment that she needs. I have to kind of intuitively guess sometimes and make suggestions 
And then when I'm overly stimulated, which is a common thing for me personally, I'm very easily overly stimulated by things, different noises and people's moods. And I think that being a parent is just really stimulating and it really brings up a lot of your baggage. And it's a perfect opportunity to work on yourself because then you get to be hopefully moving towards the best version of yourself providing the best modeling that you can and also recognizing that you don't have to show up perfectly at all. You can totally be like, yeah, I get angry too. And I also feel these different feelings or I make mistakes. That's a big one that we've been working through with my daughter is I make mistakes too. It's okay to be mad about it. And it's okay to know that you just move on and try again. And it doesn't mean anything about you. I'm a human being. I make mistakes. I say the wrong things sometimes. I learn and I grow. And I just want her to know that she can do that too. And that's okay. And it's safe for her to do that. And it's also okay for her to be herself, her little full wackadoodle self, (laughs) which childhood is a perfect time to do that. Usually kids aren't as self-conscious as adults are until usually it seems like around age nine and That's what I noticed in myself, at least. What a beautiful example of how to be a mindful parent and how to address some of these challenges, the specifics that you gave and how I'm sure so many mothers and other parents or parental figures can relate to that. And it's so interesting. I don't have kids and I don't know if I will have them. I also get overstimulated easily. And so that's given me some pause. And yet I find myself thinking, wow, what a cool opportunity to learn more about myself and to support another being and practice things. I mean, it sounds like a roller coaster, as you described, but a delightful one. And mindful parents like yourself, I just have the utmost respect for and just acknowledge that it's got to be even more challenging than I could possibly imagine at times. So I want to acknowledge you as somebody who seems to be just doing your best to be present and aware and practice the things that you're teaching others through your work, your mission to help people find their authentic selves and feel more love for themselves. is just like one of the most incredible things you could do for another human being. So do that for both the child and the lucky clients that work with you. It's just so amazing. And with that, Heather, I'd love for you to share for anyone who's interested in working with you or getting more resources for you. I know you have a free course, I believe, that you offer. I'm going to link to this in the show notes, but can you tell us more about what it is? Yeah, so I have a little mini course. It's just an email course. So you get an email for six days straight, plus a bonus day. And it's basically a self-love 101 course. It's called Authentically You. But for anybody that's just wanting to start their self-love journey, if they're just like, how do I even start? Sometimes it's hard to remember where you were in your journey. But I'm like, now that I'm tapping into this, I can remember just being like, I'm a hot mess. What do I do? (laughs) Sometimes people are like, I know I should meditate. I know you're all over yourself. (laughs) And 
I just want to give people this little email course where they can just kind of get started with some ideas. It does come with two meditations that are only 10 minutes or less. So it's about 10 or 15 minutes of an opportunity to take time for yourself. In each email, I'll talk about different things. Like one of them is around boundaries. I think the first one is on self-awareness, if I remember right. And just beginning the opportunity to understand some of these concepts, not only intellectually, but to use the meditation practice as an opportunity to really feel that in your body. And I include some journal prompts in the emails and I just wanted to make it easy. But yeah, it's basically like 15 minutes a day for anyone that's just wanting to begin this journey. And then the bonus day is like a total life assessment kind of a thing, rating the 13 areas of your life, basically. I don't know if Tony Robbins came up with that, but it was one of those personal development things I learned early on where you can really get in there and just look at everything. And it helps that self-awareness part where you're like, actually, I don't really know why I spend so much time on this. I'd rather spend time on that or whatever it is. So this episode is not over yet. There's a little bit more coming, but before I wrap it all up, I'm so excited to tell you about a second sponsor. Yes, in addition to Athletic Greens, I am working with Zencaster, and I'm excited about this because they make it possible for this podcast to sound and look really good. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you may know I have a YouTube channel and for a while I was uploading every single episode to YouTube and then I fell off the wagon because it got really hard. Well, Zencaster just updated their entire platform to make it so much easier for me to do post-production, which is the process of getting a video ready to put it on a platform like YouTube. And I am absolutely thrilled to share that I am starting to get all of these old episodes and this episode that you've been listening to up on YouTube so you can see me, you can see the guests, you can have that visual experience if you've been looking for it. And because Zencaster is sponsoring this podcast, I will be talking about them for the next three months, some episodes with Athletic Greens, some episodes afterwards, after that sponsorship wraps up. If you happen to be a podcaster like me and Heather, the guest today, I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. If you go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and enter the promo code WELLEVATOR, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, you'll get 30% off your first three months of their incredible offerings. So again, Zencaster.com slash pricing with the promo code WELLEVATOR. Check it out. Let me know if you need any help. There's a lot more to come in upcoming episodes, but let's get back to this one. You mentioned, Heather, that you are working on a podcast. Is that available for people to listen to yet? Where's that journey? Thank you so much. Yeah, for reminding me. So my podcast is launching on August 8th. And it's called For the Love of Self. And it's just really going to be for women and mothers who want to 
begin hearing these conversations, these ideas around self-love and how to begin your self-love journey. But I also am going to be inviting on guests who can just talk about not always specifically self-love, but just anything that would be an addition or an opportunity to educate and work on their personal growth. And so I'm excited and nervous, but I really just want the core message to return to love for ourselves and to keep making time and space for our love. And yeah, it's available on Apple and Spotify. And I think I'm just learning. So please forgive me, but I'm using Anchor. So I'm like, I think, do people listen through Anchor? I don't know if that's a thing, but (laughs) I've never. Yeah, I think they can. (laughs) Absolutely. All different players too. So you'll probably find your show on some random podcast site one day. (laughs) that's what's happened with mine. And you're like, wow, okay. I've never even heard of this site, but somehow my show's here. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And the last thing I'll mention in terms of offers, I had said to you that I really try to keep my breathwork sessions really accessible. I mean, like if you're making minimum wage, you should be able to afford it. I do the first session for $15. So I really try to make it so people can at least just get in there and try it out. And I can give you the link for that, but you can just schedule and then try it out and see if it's something that's for you. And if you like it, you can try it with me more, or maybe you'll want to go out to one of the yoga studios or whatever in your community and try it with other people. That's so incredible that you do that. I think that's incredibly important to acknowledge that many mindful instruction can be out of reach and to have the ability to offer it at a price that's affordable for more people is just such an incredible gift and acknowledging that everybody does deserve access to that. So thank you for doing that. And I'm going to link to everything your offer and the scheduling link and the podcast that's all going to be available for the listener in one place. Well, actually two places. One is that on your podcast player right now, you can click see more and there's a whole description of this episode along with some links to Heather. And if not all of the links are there, which they probably won't be because there's been several The rest of them will be available in the show notes, which are at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. In the podcast section, there's a full transcript. I've been writing down quotes. Some people really like to read. I'm one of those people. I like to take in information sometimes after I listen to it. So that's there for you. And also at the bottom of the show notes is a resource section including all the details to get in touch with Heather, to look into these things. And I really hope you as a listener do go there to check it out. And thank you, Heather, once again. This has been a really nourishing conversation. And I just am very grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing because it's incredibly important. So thanks for spending time with me and the listener today. And I'm so excited about your podcast. Congratulations on getting that going. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really just want to say it was so nice to spend time with you and I've been listening to your podcast and it's so crazy to be here seeing you face to face virtually. And thank you everyone for listening. And I just hope that you 
get out there and keep loving your body and yourself and do the work. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.